And then um, during this Easter time, we are following um, the encounter, the risen Christ um, on very different roads. We're, we're traveling down from different roads. Let me say, we're traveling down different roads to, um, to find the uh, encounter, the risen Christ. And today, um, our road takes us to Acts 16, 9 through 15. Um, but if you remember last week, last week we were down, we would travel down the road to Damascus. We met a guy named Saul. Saul, um, we later realized that he was Paul. He's the one who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. And so today we um, travel down and find Paul with some others as they are pushing the boundaries of Christianity and moving down different roads of Christianity. In fact, in chapter 16, it's when Christianity moves into Europe. And the first person to become a Christian in Europe is a woman named Lydia. So, some history for you. Who's the first, first Christian in Europe was a female. Um, and so, today we um, meet Lydia on this road as we travel in and push our boundaries into Europe. I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, following the day of Napoleus, and from there to Philippi, which is leading city in the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The woman opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be God. to God. On February 11, 1990, Nelson Mandela emerged from, South, from a South African prison where he had been held for... 27 years. He was 72 years old. His crime? Advocating, organizing, and fighting for the freedom of his people against the apartheid policies and programs of the South African government at the time. He was called a terrorist. He was in prison. He was, was brutal at first. Little food. Crushing stones all day long. He was allowed no visitors, one letter in and one letter out per year. After being allowed to read, write, and converse with other political prisoners, his thinking about freedom actually deepened. His thinking about freedom broadened. He wrote, It was during those long and lonely years that my hunger for freedom of, all my, of my own people became a hunger for the freedom of all people, 
both white and black. I knew as well as I know anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. He is locked behind the bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I'm not truly free if I am taking away someone else's freedom. When he was finally released from prison and apartheid was abolished, the, the world slowly came to realize that it was a witnessing an extraordinary example of humanity and a unique demonstration of the meaning of freedom. In an interview in the Larry King Show, Mandela was asked how after 27 years of incarceration by one of the world's most oppressing regimes, 70, some 27 years of separation from family and from friends, how was it that he didn't just hate his captors and desire revenge? His response? They kept me in prison for 27 years. If they caused me to hate, I would have been in prison for the rest of my life. There's freedom. And then there's freedom. Freedom is one of those virtues that can get all of us to join hands seeing God bless America very easily. It's pronounced well in the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of press. Freedom of assembly, freedom of the penitentiary, the, the government, freedom for religion. And not to sound like a conspiracy theorist. And don't worry, the sermon is not going to try to convince you that Bill Gates is trying to put something in our arms so he can track us, or that um, birds are somehow a, um, drones watching us by the government. However, uh, we should may take note. That the world spent $90 billion in cybersecurity last year. Americans spent $20 billion on home securities. And protect all us good people from all the bad people? Prisons continue to expand, increasing inmate population 500% over 40 years. And not to mention, nine out of every ten households Say, if they could afford a therapist, at least one person in their household will go to it. In this rise of mental illness within our country, a rise of fear for advertisement in our country, in our dog-eat-dog contest of grades and jobs and schedules and just stuff, it should make us all pause, just for a second, and ask, who is and who isn't really free? Will Willimon has said that this is the question that the Bible is proposing at every turn. And in the 16th chapter of Acts, tackles this definition of freedom head on. Within this chapter, there's a story of a slave girl and where her freedom takes on the um, exploitation of greed and justice and mental illness. And then there's this question of freedom and religious traditions, followed by singing and chains um, breaking open 
and those who are living in fear compared to those who are in prison singing and those who are living in fear from the government powers of this world. The 16th chapter of Acts tackles everything about freedom. And then it also gives us this woman, Lydia. Lydia, we know that she is someone searching for another meaning in life. We also know that Lydia was a business owner who sold purple goods, which means that she sold to persons in this higher social class. And she was probably in that higher social class herself. We know that Lydia owned her house and that she was the head of the household. And we know that Lydia's in, within her household was probably employees as well as her family. And we also know that Lydia was a seeker. It says that she was a worshiper of God, a Gentile who sought the God of Judaism. She was dipping her toes into the water, not yet converted, but seeking something more, something more than what the captivities of this world are giving her. Perhaps she is not much different than the many of the 10,000 people that they are say are moving in to Lillington. For these people who are moving into Lillington are not like you and I, and not like are not unlike the rest of the United States. Whom research after research continues to tell us that we're all in search for care and connection and depth. So a word, we are all in search for a word to free us from this mundane offerings of this world. For Lydia. Something must have happened to her down on that river. After seeking for something new in her life, she found it that day, and her heart was open. It says she became free. And Lydia, in her freedom, showed hospitality. And notice the hospitality that she showed. First, she showed hospitality to her whole household, to be baptized, moving their relationship from a hierarchy where the head of the household was the top of the pyramid, followed by all the other subordinates, to everyone now being brothers and sisters in Christ. And then she showed hospitality to Paul and to all the disciples that were with Paul, opening up their house to them. Last week, we talked about the mission of our church as being a safe place to know Jesus. This sentence was slowly taken over the last two years through Bible studies and sessions to um, the sermon. We have recognized that our mission at this specific time of the church is to be that for our community. And last week, we also explored that word safe. And the simplicity, but yet the complexity of it, and interestingly, the next word, place, also brings equal simpleness, simplicity, and complexity. When we look around at our place, the building that we come to week in and week out, it's an inviting place. It's very hospitable. Our space not only reveals our freedom to tell others that we believe what we believe, but it welcomes people in to explore their faith as well. There's never a visitor that has not come through here over the last couple of years and it enters into that Christian ed building 
does not mention how welcoming and bright and as warm and comforting it is. We all should be very proud of the renovations that took place. And with God's help, how much we are able to accomplish in the Christian Net building. And I have no doubt that when the updates are complete in this sanctuary, it will also and only enhance how currently warm and welcoming and inviting this sanctuary already is. And not to mention, when new members and visitors alike always tell me when they come in how polite and welcoming they feel because of you all. Not due to the cosmetics, but how welcoming and polite that you are to the visitors who walk into our, into our space. However, as I say, times are changing. In a recent article, Thomas Daniel, a Presbyterian pastor, wrote that for much of the church history in the United States, having a hospitable place, a welcoming congregation, decent preaching, and engaging music, and programs for the kids was a formula for a successful church. But the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come, philosophy, well, that left us in the 21st century. Excuse me, in the 20th century. Researchers after research shows that if we build it, people will not come. One reason is because people can now gather online. And for, our digital, for some, the digital space is replacing that physical space. In which, by the way, Derek Graham and others are working diligently to create an authentic digital space to match the warmth and hospitality that people receive here in person. And as the digital space continues to grow, we must stay in ongoing conversation of how social media and video recordings and other digital areas how can we be hospitable to those that are uncomfortable, who have been hurt by the church or have never stepped foot into a church their entire lives will be welcomed in that place as much as they feel welcome in our physical building. Not that our physical building is not important because a physical building is very important. I've heard it said the church is an airport, not the destination. Nobody flies to LAX for the airport, but without LAX, Los Angeles will not thrive. We gather in this physical place weekly. We invite others to join us, to equip us to serve the community beyond our physical space, which leads us to the complexity of that word place. As Christians, by definition, we are nomads. A place for us goes beyond any physical location or digital space. Because we are free. We're free to follow God wherever God leads us. Notice Paul's actions in our story. Like, like Lydia, Paul also is free to practice hospitality. Instead of welcoming someone into his home, his hospitality, Paul's hospitality, is to say, yes, 
Yes, I will go into your house. This is the hospitality that Jesus practiced. If you think about it, Jesus never invited anyone into his home, into his physical place. Jesus, during his ministry, was homeless. Jesus' hospitality is going into other people's physical place. He goes into the home of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He sits down and has a meal with a, a, a bunch of other tax collectors. Jesus is in and out of the house of Mary and Martha. He goes to Simon Peter's in-law's house. He goes to a little girl's house who is dying, and he goes to other houses that are countless other houses throughout his ministry. Jesus gathers 70 of his disciples. He tells them, now go, get out of here and go into other people's homes. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Barbara Brown Taylor recounts a conversation she had with someone who was wrestling with this complexity of this word place. On Sunday morning, I walk into a world that is the way God meant it to be. People are considerate for one another. Strangers are welcomed. We pray for justice and peace. Our sins are forgiven. And when it's over, I get into my car and I drive home feeling so full of love. It's unbelievable. But by the time I've gone 20 miles down the road, it's already begun to wear off. By Monday morning, it's all gone. And I've got another whole week to wait until Sunday rolls around again. It's not a new problem, he describes. From the very beginning, being a Christian has meant being a, a soldier in a strange land. The reversal in our own day is that for many people, it is a life of faith and not the rest of the world that is strange. As this moat between these two has widened, the old bridge has become obsolete leaving commuters to paddle across by themselves the best they can. And be as that may, take note that the narrative word for hospitality in its original language means simply to love the stranger. Hospitality is to love the stranger for Jesus. It's not the responsibility for others to find our place. No, as followers of Christ, we are to follow Jesus on the loose. Loving the stranger, showing hospitality. This is why Jesus died for us on the cross. We often get hung up that Jesus died for us on the cross for, to forgive us for our sins. That is true. But to free us as well. To free us. But we are free to go any place that Jesus calls us to go to. We are free to not be confined to one place, but we are free to show hospitality. We are free to love those that the world says we shouldn't love. We are free to love our oppressors. We are free to love the stranger. And we are free to receive their love back to us. That is the Christian place. It's not a physical location. It's wherever Jesus calls us to be. One of my children, Fred Breitner, recounts, was sick. And in my anxiety for her, I was in my own way as sick as she was. Then one day, the phone rang. 
and it was a man named Lou Patrick, whom I didn't know very well then, though he has become a great friend of mine since. He was a minister from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is about 800 miles or so from Rupert, Vermont, where I live. I assume he was calling from home, and I asked how things were going down there, only to hear him say that he wasn't in Charlotte. He was in an inn about 20 minutes away from my house in Rupert. He knew something about what was going on in my family and in me, and he said that he thought maybe it would do some help to have an extra friend around for just a day or two. The reason he didn't call me in advance that he, and tell me he was coming was that he knew that I would tell him for heaven's sake and not to do something so crazy like that. So for heaven's sake, he did something crazier still, which was to come those 800 miles without telling me that he was coming so that for all he knew, I might not even be there. But as luck had it, I was. And for a day or two, he was there with me. He was there for me. I don't think anything we found to say each other amounted to very much on those two days. There, there was nothing particular religiously about it. I, I don't remember ever spending much time talking about my, even my troubles with him. We took a couple of walks. We had a meal or two together. We smoked our pipes. We drove around some old countryside roads. That was about it. I've never forgotten how he came all that distance, just for that. I also believe, although as far as I can remember, we never so mentioned the name Christ. But Christ was in the air. Christ was in the air that we breathed those few days. Friends, our, our Easter hope, the hope for our world, is that Christ is not only in the air that we breathe in this place, but it literally is the air that gives me and you life. Christ's breath gives us freedom. And no matter the place that God calls us, it is there that we are free to love, because Christ is already there, preparing that place for us, loving you when you arrive, and loving me, and loving everyone in that place. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.